right. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. So we continue to make progress through this book. From the very beginning of the church, even through to today, there has consistently been a question. How are Christians supposed to interact with and respond to government? Particularly, how are Christians and the church supposed to interact with and respond with pagan, unsaved government? Early in the life of the church, conflict arose between the church and civil government. Under the emperor Caligula, the church suffered severe and lasting persecution. Uh, Caligula proved to also be inept as a Caesar. He had no idea what he was doing leading the nation. And as a result, it was not long before he was assassinated with his family, with his wife and children. Rome's throne was passed to a man at that point named Claudius. In order to establish firmly his right as Caesar, he married a young lady named Julia Agrippina. Now that was significant for two reasons. One was that she was the great-great-granddaughter of Caesar Augustus from Luke chapter 2. Second, she also had a son by the name of Lucius Domitus Ahenobarbus. There's a name for your kids someday. He would serve as an heir to the throne of Rome. When uh, Claudius passed, this person, this young man, could take the throne and ensure that it passed on. And Claudius served really a short and insignificant reign as Caesar. He would uh, die after a short amount of time, and this young man took the throne. And he would become one of the most notorious Caesars ever to sit on the throne in Rome. You see, when Claudius adopted young Lucius, he gave him a new name. Tiberius Claudius Nero. As soon as Nero took the throne, he began to eliminate any threat to his throne. He went so far as to kill all of his siblings and even attempt to murder his own mother. Within a couple of years, he solidified his grip on Rome and began to use the government and its coffers for his own personal purposes. He ignored ruling in favor of putting on plays in which he was the star actor. He's suspected to have engaged in multiple homosexual affairs. And he began building homes for himself on a grand scale. And in order to fund all of these things, he enacted high taxes on the population. When the people became disgruntled about this, he began to put on games for the people, for them to enjoy, and to begin to hand out free government benefits. This all resulted in massive inflation. It was a terrible government. The ultimate notorious action happened as he built his masterpiece. A massive compound built on 300 acres complete with its own lake. 
It was magnificent. The problem was the land he wanted to build this on was occupied by lower class housing comprised really of only what could be described as a ghetto. These apartments that had been built one on top of another in such poor fashion that the only thing holding them up was the building next to them. Well, the belief is that upon his orders, a fire was started in that ghetto, which resulted in the whole area burning to the ground. Suddenly, it was free for him to build his compound. This was a bad government. To top it off, he blamed the fire on Christians and began to put them to death and to persecute them. As Paul writes this letter to the Roman church, they face the same questions we all face. How are Christians, how are the people of God to respond to the government? Particularly a government we may not like. A government which might legitimately, as in this case, be awful. How should Christians respond? He concluded in chapter 12 with the statement, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But what about when the evil is the government? What does gospel life presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice look like then? Paul answers this for the Roman church and for us in the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. Let's read them together today. Let every, be pers- let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's servant, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the, evil, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. In this section, we find two important commands for the believer, which demonstrate for us the way that we should respond to the government if we truly believe the gospel. From them, we learn that the gospel calls us to honor and submit to the government. The first important command we find in the first five verses The gospel requires that we submit 
to civil government. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Governing authorities is a word used here. And it's used in secular Greek and in biblical Greek to the possession and exercise of power. It's used to refer to civil government. Paul here is referring to his government, to Nero himself and the Roman government. And for us, to our own American and state government here in Michigan. And he says, let every person. There is no exception to this. Every single soul is to be subject to the governing authorities. The word be subject is the idea of placing yourself in rank under. To subject yourself to them. To obey them. What he's saying is that submission is an inevitable and inescapable outworking of the Christian grace of humility. We are to humble ourselves before the government we are under. Paul gives no qualification. He gives no condition. He doesn't say, let every soul be subject to the government when they are good. But when they are bad, he doesn't give any qualification. He gives no escape. With no exception related to the ruler's competence or incompetence, morality or immorality, cruelty or kindness, or even godliness or ungodliness. The believer is called to place themselves under the authority of the civil government. We might say, they are evil people. And God is not talking about our current leaders. Have you not watched the news? Do you not know what they're like? Let me be frank. This is a naive statement. As the Roman leaders of that day made our leaders look like Sunday school teachers. We might say, well, the authority today is the Constitution. It's not a specific leader. Or the authority today are the people who vote, not that specific leader. But, but both these statements miss the passage. The word authority here refers to the one exercising the authority. That means the elected leaders themselves. We might say, God cannot certainly be talking about the leaders who persecute Christians. The leaders who are promoting things like killing babies. I don't have to submit to civil authority because they are immoral or ungodly. But again, many of the Christians to whom Paul is writing in Rome had recently been forced by the Roman emperor to leave their homes and businesses and live in exile. Too often I hear believers state that they don't have to submit to civil authority because that person stole the election. That may or may not be true, but that's not the question. The question is, do they hold the office or not? I'm not asking whether you think they legitimately hold it. And the answer is yes. Then you are called to place yourself under them. Immediately, I know that some of you are arguing in your minds about this. I understand. Paul anticipated this as well. After all, he's writing about Nero. 
I mean, submit to Nero? Really? This guy is clinically insane. So he continues on with the reasons we must submit as believers. He gives us three. One is that God sovereignly places them in their position. He continues on. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. He says, we must submit to them because God put them there. He says, no authority exists except from God. And those that exist have been instituted, literally, to place, to assign, and to appoint. God put them there. This is a theme that is throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 8, 15 and 16 In the voice of wisdom, God says, By me, kings reign. Rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern. In Isaiah 41, as Isaiah is anticipating Babylon coming in and conquering the people of God and taking them captive. Through Isaiah, he informs the people of Israel, I have placed Nebuchadnezzar in place. I have put Babylon in place to judge you. In Jeremiah 29, 7, Jeremiah continues with that theme and says, when you are taken captive and taken into captivity in Babylon, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find welfare. He says, don't rebel against it. Submit to it and seek its good. In Isaiah 45, he tells us that God placed Cyrus in the kingship over Assyria. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel himself said he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. In Daniel 4, we see the response of Nebuchadnezzar, he says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he will. Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us the king's heart is, in the, is, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In the book of John, as Jesus stands before the government rulers who are persecuting him, he tells the leadership there, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. We today must understand that our government officials, although elected by the people, are ultimately appointed by God. This means that Andrew Fink, Mike Shirky, and even Governor Whitmer were appointed by God. This means that Tim Wahlberg and even Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow and even President Biden were appointed by God. This text is crystal clear. It is black and white. No person 
can hold his place except by permission of the God of heaven. I've heard believers say, I don't think God put them in their position. I think God just simply allowed it. And they use this as an excuse for their refusal to submit. But that's not what this text says. This text doesn't leave any wiggle room. It says those that exist have been instituted, appointed by God. Now this holds great significance. Here's why. He says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. He says, whoever resists the authorities, whoever arranges themselves against them, resists, and it's a, it's a different word that time, and it's used significantly for its use in the Septuagint, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, for a resistance before a, a superior uh, opponent, someone that you just can't beat. He says, if you resist the authorities, you're going against an authority you can't beat. You're going against God himself. It pictures the attitude of one who will not admit that the government has legitimate right to exercise authority over them. You see, because civil authority is an institution of God, to rebel against the government is to rebel against God himself who established it. That's a sober warning. If we resist the authorities that God has appointed, we might be regarded as heroes by some, as great patriots, but we can expect only the visitation of God's judgment on our lives. God will take a Christian to task if he rebels against civil authority. One man said it this way, the universal call to submit to authority touches the root of our corruption. Everyone is a sinner. And every sin is an act of revolt against authority. If we respected the authority of God perfectly, we would never sin. Sin is a refusal to submit to the governing authority of God himself. And God knows that about us. If we are not willing to submit to God, it is more difficult to submit to the police department, the government, and other authorities that rule over us. It's the duty of every Christian to be in subjection to the authorities. You see, those who are judged by the state for doing evil in the present will experience the full fury of God's judgment on the last day if they don't repent. To disobey the laws of the land except where they contravene the direct, express will of God is to violate the purpose of God himself. But further, because God is the just judge, we can be confident that when we are victimized by unjust or demonic governments that do everything but work for the glory and honor of him, he notices our Lord will vindicate the people who stay faithful to him despite the injustice that comes their way. But we must remember that the civil government, the state, is a divine institution with divine 
authority. Christians are not called to be anarchists or subversives. This means we're not free to disobey civil government simply because we disagree with it. Or when authorities make us suffer or experience inconvenience. Every person, regardless of religion, political party, or anything else, is to submit to the governing authorities. And to fail to submit to the governing authorities, again, except where they uh, contravene the express statements of God, is to fail to submit to God himself. You might see this as patriotism. God calls it sin. It's ironic that this master text on civil obedience was written to the Roman Christians who were under the heavy hand of imperial Rome and their crazy leader, Nero. One man said the second century apologist, Justin Martyr, who gave a defense of the faith to the emperor Antonius Pius, argued that the emperor should examine the lives of Christians to see that they, above all other citizens in the empire, were the most scrupulous in paying their taxes and in their obedience to civil magistrates. You want to know how the Roman world changed? You want to know how Christianity was ushered in to ultimately become the state religion? It wasn't through rebellion and civil war. It was through submission. To the point where Justin Martyr, one of the great apologists of the Christian church in all of history, said to the emperor, look at the way we live. Let's be frank. We can't say that today. In fact, if we were to have to go to the governing authorities and give an account, the last thing we would probably say is, look at the way Christians are acting. The gospel calls us to honor and submit to government because they are sovereignly placed by God. The second reason he gives us is this. God sovereignly placed them to curb evil and promote good. He says in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the, on the wrongdoer. Now we need to note this is a proverbial statement. This is a statement of how it should be, not how it always is. It's the purpose God created government. And although sin has stained that purpose, he is stating the divine ideal here. As a general rule, and... Frankly, this is absolutely true today. When you do good and you submit to government, you have no need to fear them. When you are subversive or obnoxious or criminal, then you have a need to fear them. Again, we're, we're reminded that the civil government is God's servant. He says they are God's ministers who bear the sword. They serve at his appointment even when they don't acknowledge him. And they are for our good. 
as bad as our government might be or as bad as you might think it is, without it, we would have anarchy, which would be much worse. He says they do not bear the sword in vain. The sword is the symbol of the executive and criminal jurisdiction of the civil government. It's used of the power of punishing that goes with government. And he says they don't bear this without purpose. God gave it to them for a reason. Society needs to be constrained for its own good. It's one of the chief roles of civil government. Recommending good and punishing bad. And so the gospel calls us to honor and submit to civil government because God appointed them to curb evil and promote good. To hold things together. But even more importantly, the third reason we are to submit to civil government, and the gospel requires this, is because submission results in a clear conscience. He says in verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, and that's a good reason, but also for the sake of conscience. Again, note how he begins this. Therefore, because of this, one must. It is a necessity. We are duty-bound. It's striking because the philosophical use of this word in literature is in reference to a divine command. The way things are and have to be. He says, we must, we are duty-bound to submit to them. Not just to escape God's wrath, but to have a clear conscience. Conscience refers here to the believer's knowledge of God's will, his purposes, and the knowledge that we're walking rightly with him. What he's telling us is this. If you are being subversive to the civil government, you are not walking rightly with God. If you want to be sure that you will stand before God one day walking rightly with him, you must obey the government's authority. When you rebel against this God-ordained authority... You mar your conscience. Because it comes from God. To resist them, the exercise of their God-given responsibility is to resist God. So, one man says, Paul can even say that submission to political authorities should be motivated not simply by fear of retribution, but by concern for a good conscience. Not... Simply a matter of accepting the harsh realities which cannot be changed, but as a matter of principle. Now note, Paul does not idealize the situation he's addressing. He doesn't pretend that these authorities are wonderful people. That they are pictures of morality and godliness. Where he writes, it is especially remarkable when we recall that at the time, There were no Christian authorities. They did not exist. In fact, they were all Roman, or if you were in Israel, Jewish. And as a result, they were at best unfriendly and most likely hostile to the church. But that's to make no difference for the Christian. Because there is no authority apart from that which God has established. Allegiance to God does not negate responsibility to submit to government. Many of the Christians 
to whom he writes in Rome, again, had been recently forced by the, Ro- by the Roman emperor to leave their homes, to leave their businesses and live in exile. And yet, Paul tells them, submit. Paul calls on believers to submit to governing authorities. Now, we do need to note, he does call on them to submit, not necessarily always obey. It's this general posture toward government that God demands of Christians. And, and that posture of submission usually demands that we obey what the governing authorities tell us to do. But we do acknowledge there may be times when our submission to government is incompatible with obedience to God. We understand that there are times when our submission to government will mean we have to disobey them. When the government calls us to disobey the express commands of God. And I will emphasize that. The express, the black and white commands of Scripture. Then we obey God. What does this look like? Well, Scripture shows us this. In Acts chapter 5, we get a picture of this. The apostles are preaching the gospel in, in Jerusalem. They are arrested for it and put in prison. They're brought before the magistrates and commanded, stop preaching or we'll put you in prison. Their response in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And so they went out and they preached. And when the magistrates came to arrest them, they submitted to the arrest and to the imprisonment. They continued to obey God, but gladly and willingly submitted to the consequences of their disobedience laid down by the state. We see this with Daniel in the lion's den, with the three brothers in the fiery furnace. We are never called, not once in Scripture are we called to start an uprising against the government, but to stand in obedience to God through Christ-like civil disobedience and submission to the consequences. Now, you might say that's difficult. Whenever... A government is established, though. It's not our duty to ask why was it established, but to submit to it. That's the true Christian attitude. And it will accomplish more than any rebellion in the world can accomplish. Scripture very clearly states that believers are to be model citizens. Known as law-abiding, not rioting. Obedient, not rebellious. Respectful of government. Not demeaning of it. We must speak against sin, against injustice, against immorality and ungodliness when we see it with boldness. But we do so within the framework of civil law and with respect to civil authorities. Christians are to be the godly people in society. Marked by doing good and living peaceably within an ungodly society. Boldly proclaiming the gospel so that the saving power of God is seen. Again, no, Paul gives no qualification, no condition to this submission. There are no exceptions related to the rulers, the leaders, competence or incompetence, morality or immorality, cruelty or kindness or godliness and ungodliness. Their ability as a ruler is inconsequential. We are called to submit. 
Unless we think this is something that we are reading into this text, Peter also addresses the issue in 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, who was Nero, as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let us, li- let us live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The gospel calls us to honor and submit to government. The second command which demonstrates for us the way that we should respond to government if we truly believe the gospel is found in verses 6 and 7. The gospel requires that we give civil government what they are owed. He says in verse 6, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Really, he breaks this down into two parts. What do we owe? One is that we owe taxes and revenue. The Christian is called to gladly pay the taxes that the government places upon it. Now, you might say, and possibly rightly, The tax burden is excessive, and they are not using it for good things. Maybe they're even using it for ungodly things. Well, we know from the historian Tacitus that the year this was written, AD 58, saw persistent complaints against the corporate taxes, the agricultural taxes, and other indirect taxes, and the greed of tax collectors. During this time, taxes were exorbitant. And the government approved their tax collectors overcharging and extorting the people, which made the financial burden on the people immeasurably worse. Further, the taxes were then placed into the state treasury and used in part by the unrighteous government to fund immoral idol worship. They were using them for ungodly things. And yet, God says, pay them. Interestingly, when you look at the Mosaic law and the commands placed on the nation of Israel, God instituted six different taxes on the nation of Israel. And when you add up all those taxes on those people, they amounted to roughly 25% of their income. Their tax burden was high, even under the theocracy of God. This was a debate in the time of Christ. The people in Israel were angry at Rome. They believed that the Messiah would come and establish the Israelite kingdom and throw off Rome and stage a rebellion. They were angry at Jesus, and so they thought they could trap him. The nation of Israel was split with two very diverse opinions. You had one group called the Herodians. They believed that Rome was good and that they should submit to him. You also had the Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted to throw Rome off. 
More than anything, they wanted to see Jesus gone. So they came to Jesus to trap him. They brought a coin. And they said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he said yes, well, then the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people in in Jerusalem would be uh, angry at Jesus, would want to kill him. If he said no, then the Romans would see him as subversive and want to kill him. They figured they trapped him. Jesus said, bring me a coin. They brought the coin. He showed it and said, whose picture is that? The picture of the Caesar was there on the coin. They said, it's Caesar's. To which he responded in Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He says, pay the taxes that you owe. The economics of the world were subjected to, controlled by, and maintained by the Roman Empire. And the very use of Caesar's coin symbolizes the dependence of the subject people on the benefits of Roman rule. To use that coin to pay the poll tax is to recognize that they are indebted to the Roman Empire for the work that they do. And so he says, render to them. Give to them. Pay the tax that you owe that God has put in place. And the way he says it is to say that to disobey it, to withhold it, would be to defraud the government and to disobey God. And so Jesus is clearly teaching, and Paul is clearly saying here, that paying taxes to a secular government is an obligation. The very question asked of Jesus could be asked today in any number of ways. But they all come down to the same two questions. Am I obligated to obey an unjust, immoral government? And do I have to obey the government when they tell me something that I don't like? And Jesus' answer and Paul's answer is yes. We are to obey the government in their areas of authority. Taxes and revenue. But beyond that, we owe them respect, reverence, and honor. He says we are to give Reverence to whom reverence is due, or respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. That word respect means that fear or reverence. Honor means to give them deference, to treat them rightly. The two words overlap and, respect, and describe the respect and honor that should be rendered to those who have authoritative positions. Again, Peter told us this. He said we're honor everyone, but in the end he says honor The government, honor the emperor. We're to respect and honor governing authorities, not because they're powerful or influential, not because they're making decisions that align with our political proclivities, but because they have been appointed by God. Honor to whom honor is due means it is never right for a Christian to speak in a disrespectful way about any officer of the state. Paul himself practiced this. He was arrested shortly after he wrote this. He had gone to Jerusalem, was arrested. And as he was brought before the magistrates, before the rulers there, he was being maligned. And he made a comment back to the person who was doing it. And he was asked, Those who stood by, Acts 23, 4, and 5. Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. 
For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He said, I didn't realize he was the high priest. I was wrong. Well, man says, no matter what the character of a man may be, we are to respect his office because he holds that office by divine commission. And we are to uphold the regularly divinely constituted authorities and not help the world in its chaos of lawlessness. The utter disrespect that men have for government today is frankly appalling. The utter disrespect that Christians have today for government is sinful. It is the Christian's business to be the salt of the earth in everything. Jesus is the greatest picture of what this submission looks like in the middle of unjust dealings from civil government. Jesus lived perfectly. Never sinned a single time. And yet his government ordered his execution. And how did he respond? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Here's the point. The gospel calls us to honor and submit to government. One man said, believers are to be model citizens, known as law-abiding, not rabble-rousing, obedient, not rebellious, respectful of government, not demeaning of it. We must submit. The past few years, I've been saddened by the response of many believers to decisions government has made that they didn't like, that weren't sinful, they just didn't like them. Some have rightly responded. They submitted but worked within the order of government to try and enact change via peaceful protest or letters to elected officials through participation in the government system through voting. But others have, begone, have gone beyond these things. They've exemplified a rebellious, spiteful, an ungodly spirit in their refusal to submit and obey the government in areas that don't disobey God. And this, frankly, has damaged the cause of Christ. However, even more important is the hypocrisy we demonstrate when we enthusiastically proclaim a rebellious spirit against government, claiming that we must obey God rather than man, while we blatantly disobey God in multiple area, other areas of our life. If we're, if we're going to proclaim that we're going to disobey civil authority because we're obeying God instead, we had better be model Christians. 
God is not honored by hypocrisy, even when it's for a good reason. John MacArthur says, we are to be the conscience of the nation through faithful preaching and godly living. Confronting it, not with the political pressure of man's wisdom, including our own, but with the spiritual power of God's word. You see, we're not about this country. As believers, we serve a greater kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we were as passionate about the gospel as we are about our politics, God would change this world. But shame on us. That's not true. The gospel calls us to honor and submit to government whether we like them or not. Let me give you four so what's today as we walk away. They're lengthy, so we'll leave them on the screen for a minute. Number one, we must recognize that dishonoring or rebelling against God's appointed civil authority is not patriotism. It's sin. Dishonoring and rebelling against God's divinely appointed civil authority is not patriotism. It's sin. Number two, we must recognize that God will judge those who fail to submit and honor authority. You place yourself in a position to be judged by God. Number three, when we do practice civil disobedience, it must only be in line with Scripture's clear command, not our opinion. You better be sure that it is black and white in Scripture, not just what you think. Finally, we proclaim or fail to proclaim the gospel in the way we treat civil authority. What good is it, brothers and sisters, when we are persecuted for doing evil? It does no good. Often that's where we are today. Rather, true persecution is when we obey God and we submit to government and we live righteous lives. That proclaims the gospel. Let us do our best today to honor, respect, and submit to a government even that is unrighteous. Father, we thank you that you do not hold back even from hard commands. Lord, this is a struggle today. My own heart and I know in the hearts of the people here. As we wrestle 
with ungodly people promoting ungodly things that you have divinely placed in government. And yet we are reminded in Revelation 4 that you are doing all of these things to work toward your kingdom and your glory, although we don't always understand it. So God, help us not to rest in our own understanding, but in the glory of your person and your sovereign plan to submit willingly and gladly to those you have placed over us. And when we must, to practice simple disobedience, but then to submit to the consequences of that. Lord, help us to picture the gospel in the way we act. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.